Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 22nd of February 2024. That's a lot of twos in the date. going to be a two kind of day, I suppose. This is episode 861 of Bitcoin and the Circle P is open for business. The Circle P is where I put you, the pleb, into an advertising seat that you may or may not have access to. If you don't have access to it, but you take your goods and services in Bitcoin, get a hold of me. I might drop you in the Circle P. You can't be selling crap though, okay? No, no crap. And I'm not going to advertise for altcoins. I'm just not going to do it. All right, but, but I'm going to bring you the guy I brought you yesterday, the Leather Mint. That's right. Welcome to the sovereign side of luxury with Leather Mint. Dive into our treasure trove of the latest, most stylish, and utterly functional leather goodies. Whether it's our chic signing device apparel, I love that, snazzy belts, Swanky wallets or classy passport holders, each piece is a masterpiece of craftsmanship for the style sovereigns out there. Don't just accessorize, make a bold statement and strut your stuff with Leatherman's exclusive craftsmanship. Ready to stand out? Click tap or waltz over to our site and snag the craftsmanship that screams you. Just be sure to tell them that you heard it about it here on the Bitcoin and Podcasts Circle P. Honestly, if you haven't seen the Leather Mints gear, you, you really should. High quality leather and high quality stitching. And honestly, I would buy a wallet with lower quality leather as long as it had high quality stitching because stitching is where, that's what makes or breaks pretty much everything, but especially leather goods that you're taking in and out of your you know pocket all the time. I have wallets fall apart on me all the time. It's because they're just made crappily. These guys are serious about their gear. Make sure that you tell them that you heard about it here on the Circle P. And uh, maybe they'll cut me in on a sale or two. I don't know. This is the Circle P. It's an advertising medium that is value for value based. So if you think what I just said has value, run on over to theleathermint.com. Actually, I think it's, hold on, it's leather. Yeah, theleathermint.com. Go over to theleathermint, M-I-N-T. It's all one word, theleathermint.com. Check out their gear. When you order, try to figure out a way that your order, because I, there's these, you know, the, there's not a lot of places on order forms for you to tell where you heard it from. And I don't, you know, the Leather Mint is a pleb. They don't have all the gear necessary to give me a, you know, a, I don't know, like one of those uh, advertiser codes or whatever. So so figure out a way to let them know that if you buy one of their pieces of gear that you heard about it here on the Circle P. And we'll just see if this value for value experiment 
on advertising actually works. Now, one place it probably won't work is in India. Why? Well, at Global Affairs, which is Global Government Affairs, I guess is part of the X group of family, which, well, I should have said Twitter, that it's part of the Twitter family of uh, accounts that tells you what Twitter is going to do or not going to do, but it's like it's one of their official outlets. And the mouthpiece for Twitter says the following. The Indian government has issued executive orders requiring X to act on specific accounts and posts subject to potential penalties, including significant fines and imprisonment. I'll come back to that. In compliance with the orders. We will withhold these accounts and posts in India alone. However, we disagree with these actions and maintain that freedom of expression should extend to these posts. Consistent with our position, a writ appeal challenging the Indian government's blocking orders remains pending. We have also provided the impacted users with notice of these actions in accordance with our policies. Due to legal restrictions, we are unable to publish the executive orders but we believe that making them public is essential for transparency. This lack of disclosure can lead to a lack of accountability and arbitrary decision-making. So there you go. There's, there's the Indian government for you, basically telling uh, Twitter how they're going to act in India. Now, I want to go back to this specific, the very first sentence where it says, subject to potential penalties, including significant fines, and imprisonment. Okay, so the Indian government has issued this executive order requiring a United States-based company to do certain things and then says subject to potential penalties including significant fines and imprisonment. Imprisonment of who? The people that are in India writing the post? Are they threatening the executives of a sovereign U.S. company? That they will, what, come over here and imprison Elon Musk? I mean, I'm not a fan of Elon Musk by any stretch of the imagination, but come on. So I'm very unclear as to exactly what this post from Twitter or X, whatever, is trying to actually say. They're not clear of what the fines I can see. That seems kind of clear. They can find Twitter, but imprisonment of who exactly? Who? Who's going to be imprisoned? That's not clear. And I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of done with it, with the whole thing at this point. But just be aware that the fight is never going to be over. We're never going to win because there's always going to be a fight. The only way that you win is if you put the fight down. Humanity is always going to battle this every day for the rest of time. Now, let's move on to some other shocking news. The European Central Bank reports a record loss for 2023. Wow. Wow. The Euro, oh, by the way, this is nobsbitcoin.com. The European Central Bank today reported a record annual loss for 2023 and said further losses, sorry, further losses were likely as its aggressive interest rate hikes force it to pay out billions of euros to banks. Hmm, that's interesting. Let's see if we can get a little bit more on this. The loss 
reflects the role and necessary policy actions of the euro system in fulfilling its primary mandate of maintaining price stability and has no impact on its ability to conduct effective monetary policy, the ECB said. The ECB, which is the central bank for the 20-nation euro area, said its loss before the release of provisions was 7.9 billion euros after a loss of 1.6 billion euros in 2022. They're on a losing streak. The central bank of Europe is on a losing streak for two years. Quote, the ECB is likely to incur yet further losses over the next few years. So they're expecting their losing streak to continue. Sort of like being a Cleveland Browns fan. I don't know. But anyway, as a result of the materialization of interest rate risk, before they can return to making sustained profit. Ah, Ferengis, I love them. The ECB can operate effectively and fulfill its primary mandate of maintaining price stability regardless of any losses the bank added. Uh, okay, so we've got that we've got the twenty nation euro or a European Union central bank, like our Federal Reserve, posting extreme losses that have accelerated precipitously from twenty twenty two losses to twenty twenty three losses, and they expect to lose even more. But they're gonna keep prices stable even though their interest rate payments on all this money is eye-watering. Of course, not like the United States, but still, it's just untenable. So, after, after admitting these humiliating financial losses of the people with PhDs in economics, what, do they, what on earth do they decide to do? Well, they decide to release a report on, on Bitcoin. Yes, they do. Fair value of Bitcoin is still zero, say European Central Bank officials. And this is from Decrypt.co, written by Stacey Elliott. Two European Central Bank officials have been little moved by the approval of spot Bitcoin ETFs in the United States. The Securities and Exchange Commission approved 11 spot Bitcoin ETFs to begin trading in January. And since then... The funds have surpassed more than $3 billion in net flows. Uh, That's a little less than half of what the European Central Bank lost last year in just a few days. Just saying. They saw more than $1 billion in deposits in a week and kicked off speculation that an Ethereum ETF could be next. Well, I'm not excited about that part. But for disciples, the formal approval confirms that Bitcoin investments are safe. And the preceding rally is proof of an unstoppable triumph, wrote ECB official Ulrich Binsdell and Jürgen Schaff in a blog post on Thursday. Quote, we disagree with both claims and reiterate that the fair value of Bitcoin is still zero. (laughs) A message from the ECB linking to the blog post has attracted some very pointed and colorful responses from crypto Twitter. Now, I'm going to just make sure that we, that we understand that this ECB, it's from, it's actually from, this is on Twitter, at ECB. And it says, this tweet says, Bitcoin has failed to become a global decentralized digital currency, instead falling victim to fraud and manipulation. The recent approval of an ETF doesn't change the fact that Bitcoin is costly, slow, and inconvenient argues the ECB blog, and then, of course, they give a link to their 
fascinating, I'm sure, blog post about absolute idiocy. Meanwhile, readers added context. It didn't take long. When I first went to the Twitter post, it was not tagged with community notes yet. I actually put that up on Noster earlier this morning. I said, look, uh, how do we get this thing community noted? 15 minutes later, when I was back, you know, kind of, you know, scraping up stuff for today's show, all of a sudden, there's the community note, readers added context. Number one, BTC is not preferable for criminals. Fiat like euros and dollars is. They give three links to chain analysis, transparency.eu, and home.treasury.gov. Two, Bitcoin is an open monetary protocol and a decentralized store of value. Readers provided two other links. Three, the euro is losing its purchasing power against Bitcoin constantly, and they cite tradingeconomics.com on that one. And then four, and this is the big one, Bitcoin is good for the environment. They have, uh, let's see, five, five links to various sciencedirect.com articles, one from IEEEExplore.IEEE.org. And if you don't know what IEEE is, it's the Institute for Electrical Engineers. If you're an electrical engineer and you're not a member of the IEEE in the United States, uh, then I don't know what you're doing. Everybody that's an electrical engineer, computer scientists, guys that build computers, I mean, te- technicians, in high, even in high-power high trans uh transformers and transmission lines they're all part of ieee this is the ieee has been around for a long 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 time quote unquote very prestigious right they've also got one from uh, ledger.pit link.springer.com they've got one from mdpi and linkinghub.elsevier.com and elsevier is the publication umbrella for a bunch of science journals peer-reviewed scientific journals, everything from like Cell Biology Journal, Molecular Biology Journal, I think IEEE, their journal is actually part of the Elsevier family of journals. Just, I'm just making sure that you know that they got their butts handed to them, freshly baked out of the Bitcoin oven. I love every single minute of it. This isn't a new sentiment from Ben Seal and Schaff. In November of 2022, they declared that Bitcoin was on the road to irrelevance and that it was plain to see as much even before crypto exchange FTX went bust. Their main complaints about BTC are that its transactions are slow and costly and that it is not a suitable investment and that the act of mining Bitcoin continues to pollute the environment on the same scale as entire countries. Well, maybe we should nuke all those countries. The author also goes on to say that Bitcoin has always been characterized by price manipulation and other types of fraud. To address the elephant in the room, or as they put it, the bouncing dead cat, the authors claimed the BTC's surging price and growing market capitalization is only a measure of, quote, the overall social damage that will occur when the house of cards collapses. Yes, we've been collapsing for 15 years, so I guess it's the slowest train wreck anybody's ever seen. At the time of writing, Bitcoin has a market capitalization of $1 trillion, and BTC is trading roughly around $51,500, according to CoinGecko. So the ECB pulled down their pants, 
and decided to urinate in public, I guess. It's very embarrassing when your kid does that at a park. And I feel the same way for the ECB. I just It's embarrassing to watch, but it's going on and we're going to have to deal with it over and over and over. Now, if uh, you want to go talk about that with a whole bunch of other people, might I suggest Noster Nests 2.0? That's right. Noster Nests is now Noster Nest 2.0. And you can go, and I'm actually streaming to it right now, I think. Let's see if my stream is still up. Nobody's in the room, but, you know... Uh, it is, hold on for a second. I want to make sure. Do, uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'm live on Noster Nest. And the way that you get to it is nests, N-E-S-T-S dot pages dot dev. It's still totally alpha slash beta. It's, you know, it, it's in development. It is on a development server. So anything can happen. But the cool thing about this version of Noster Nests is you can record rooms. You can stream audio to it. You can, uh, let's see. Oh, oh, it's the chat room. That's that's the thing. It's now got live chat. It's now got live chat. I was using it the other day with some of the developers uh, that were that are working on it, and it works wonderfully. You can actually put pictures and GIFs into the sidebar, and they render. They render live. They render pretty good, too, and they render actually pretty damn fast. But it's having a live chat, in the same window pane, and Hoddlebod just popped in. Hoddlebod, what's up, brother? Anyway, uh, there. Let's see. Let me see if I got it. Hold on, I've got my window at half size. Okay, so there's the there's the chat. I'm, I'm, you guys aren't seeing this, so sorry if I'm confusing the crap out of you. Um, I've got I've only got two screens, and I need a lot of room to do this show, and so I have to squeeze things down. So there's the chat. He says, Hoddlebod says, "What's up?" Trying this instead of Zapstream. Your video is not interesting to look at. <laughs> you don't want to see my face. You don't want to see my face. I'm, I know, but I'm gonna. I'm, I'll change it. I'm, I've been thinking seriously about it. It just the thing is, is that it means that I got to put clothes on. I yeah, I got to brush my hair. I I got to shave. It, honestly, it's, I just I don't want to be bothered about it. But. A lot of other people have said the same shit too. So I will figure out a way to get my ugly mug up on the screen at one point or another, but it ain't going to happen today because we got other fish to fry. Largest South Korean parties promise Bitcoin ETFs before their elections. Bitcoin magazine Landon Manning has it. As South Korea approaches its next legislative election in 2024, Both the current ruling party and the main opposition have pledged to make several pro-Bitcoin policies, most especially to approve a Bitcoin ETF. On April the 10th, 2024, the Republic of Korea will carry out its legislative election, which takes place every four years. Regardless of outcome, the president will not change as they serve five-year terms and are thus elected by entirely separate procedures, thanks to a quirk in South Korea's constitution. In fact, Leading into this election, the party which controls the majority of seats does not hold the nation's highest office and will not have the opportunity to contest this until 2027. Nevertheless, one fact makes these distinctions less critical from the Bitcoiners' perspective. Both parties have made the unusual step of making similar pledges 
to support Bitcoin. Although there are theoretically six different parties contesting for 300 seats in this election, four of these, sorry, excuse me, four of these each hold single-digit numbers. The two real contenders are the Conservative People Power Party, which currently holds the presidency, and the more liberal Democratic Party, which currently holds 50 more seats. What's more, polling currently supports a favorable outcome for for the liberal Democratic Party, leading to an unenviable possibility where people power may hold the leading office and virtually zero ability to pass legislation. It's likely for these reasons that the party chose to embrace radical new incentives, and that's where Bitcoin comes in. Rumors of a pro-Bitcoin turn for the PPP first materialized, that's the People Power Party, first materialized on February the 19th, 2024, when its representatives made comments to a local newspaper that a more comprehensive framework for crypto regulation needed to become a priority. Until this new framework exists, they alleged, it may be the most prudent option to eliminate all capital gains taxes on Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency until relevant legislation could be hammered out and signed. Legislation like this would be difficult undertaking. However, the PPP spokespeople claim that it may be necessary to continue such a tax pause for at least two years. This seems like a particularly clumsy attempt at fishing for votes, I agree, especially considering that these taxes are currently in a state of limbo, but it was not the only effort. The PPP went on to state that same, that same day, that the party was considering a broad range of pro-Bitcoin options, particularly by loosening a series of restrictions on institutional investment. Not only did they pledge to create a digital asset promotion committee with special authority over digital asset regulation, the PPP also made several vague statements on several specific policy reforms, particularly the crown jewel, a Bitcoin spot ETF. It was broadly speculated that these vague promises were a cynical move intended to attract flagging young support, especially considering that data from the National Tax Agency claims that 80% of crypto users are in the 20 to 39 age demographic. These moves may have been undertaken with little true affinity for Bitcoin itself, but the next development overturned the entire situation. The very next day, The opposition stole PPP's thunder when the DPK, the Liberal Democratic Party, made several concrete pledges, most especially to allow individual investors access to Bitcoin ETFs. Their plan specifically declares that these purchases will have to go through an individual savings account and therefore corporate interests will be unable to use it for serious multi-billion dollar trades. The DPK also made several more vague allusions about removing other barriers to institutional legislation, but announced that a comprehensive proposal to vitalize and institutionalize the digital asset space will be released on Wednesday, February the 21st, which was yesterday. These political upsets led by the PPP to respond in kind by upgrading their general pro-Bitcoin comments into definite campaign promises. (laughs) This presents us with a most unusual situation. Regardless of the political establishment's true feelings on Bitcoin or any other digital asset, the need to win youth support in a particularly contentious election has made either choice the pro-Bitcoin option. (laughs) 
sorry. I shouldn't laugh, but I, I just, it's like just watching people grab at straws. It's like there's all these people are, they have fallen overboard. They've fallen off the boat and the Bitcoiners are up there just throwing like a rope to them. And they're like fawning over this thing, trying to get out of the water. They're pushing each other down. They're standing on each other's shoulders. They're doing everything they can to grasp onto the one lifeline. And who gave them that lifeline? We did. But how likely are these politicians to follow through? And what would it look like for South Korea? To answer these questions, it's important to look at a few fundamentals in their overall economy. Now, I'm just going to stop right there. Because at this point, they go into an economic kind of like the past, you know, light history of what's going on in South Korea. You don't, it's not that you don't need to know. It's just that we've got other stories to get to. But the most important thing about what's going on here is watching two almost diametrically opposed political parties understanding that they're going to have to get the young vote. And the young people are becoming more and more Bitcoiners every single day. They cannot not see it. This is something any politician in the world, they can't unsee what has occurred in a mere 15 years. The ramifications of not just the South Korean situation, that's just, that's just an example. This is going to be everywhere. It's going to accelerate in ways that you just can't. You know, we've never seen what's coming. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. We can speculate. But honestly, I don't think the, our wildest imaginings is going to get us anywhere close to where we need to be to fully respect what we're about to see. Now, getting off of politics and into uh, Marathon Digital Holdings, they've launched Direct Bitcoin Transaction Submission Service. The hell's that? Well, Tristan Green from Cointelegraph is going to tell us more. Marathon Digital Holdings, a Bitcoin mining and digital asset technology company headquartered in Las Vegas, Nevada, recently unveiled a new direct Bitcoin transaction submission service called Slipstream. The new service was designed and implemented to facilitate and speed up large and or non-standard Bitcoin transactions. Typically, Bitcoin transactions that are too large to fit on the blockchain or too complex to complete normally get delayed while simpler transactions get processed. This can be frustrating for groups or individuals who trade often and in large amounts. According to a press release seen by Cointelegraph, Marathon Digital's new slipstream service has been designed and tested to overcome these limitations. Quote, While direct transaction submission services exist, most are rudimentary. Slipstream provides sophisticated users with a simple, transparent, and trusted means of adding complex Bitcoin transactions to the blockchain, provided they adhere to Bitcoin's protocol, and they mean consensus rules. Marathon is uniquely capable of offering these services because of our scale, our mining pool, and our team's technological expertise, end quote. 
Marathon Digital is among the largest, most active Bitcoin miners in the world. As Cointelegraph reported, it posted a company record in December of 2023, mining 1,853 Bitcoin. This concluded a year where the company mined 12,852 BTC in total, representing more than half a billion dollars. There's a ticking clock counting down to the next Bitcoin halving, which is predicted to happen somewhere around the third week of April. This prediction is based on the remaining number of blocks. While most analysts are predicting a follow-on price increase for the Bitcoin asset, there's a significant amount of uncertainty surrounding how the halving will affect miners. Traditionally, Bitcoin has experienced periods of sharp incline post-halving, but as the term halving implies, the payouts for mining a block on the Bitcoin blockchain will be reduced by 50%, taking them from 6.25 BTC per block today to a reward of a mere 3.125 BTC per block. (coughs) The tumultuous period surrounding previous halvings has resulted in a rebalancing for the field in the past, with some miners shifting towards other cryptocurrencies. However, it bears mentioning that Marathon Digital reportedly holds over 15,000 BTC as part of a war chest worth over $1 billion, while some analysts predict close United States competitor Riot platforms may be better positioned to come out ahead in the long run, Marathon has ironically taken a commanding lead in the early sprint leading up to April. So let's get back to the meat and potatoes of this direct transaction submission service. It seems to me what we're talking about is huge transactions that are just, they're just, it's just going to be not able to be done through through the, through mempools around the world. I, I I try to say that instead of the mempool because the mempool doesn't actually resist and that exists and that's where all the transactions kind of kind of lie in wait wait you know pick me pick me the miners can select and say oh, I just want high fees or I want this or or the miners that are OFAC compliant are making sure that it's transactions in the mempool that they're going to you know uh, scrape and put into their blocks that they're not, you know, against the rules for OFAC, whatever, right? This seems to me to be a service that allows for uh, out-of-band transactions, where I construct a transaction, I just need it to go through. I, I, I don't want to wait for them for to get into the mempool. I, I want to call up Marathon and get their service so that I can just give them this transaction directly. And they just shove it into their block and they mine that son of a bitch for all it's worth. And then I pay them. That's what this sounds like to me. Now, here's one of the things that worries me about out-of-band transactions. There's nothing in the protocol that refuses an out-of-band transaction. The way that Bitcoin works is I construct a transaction I transmit the transaction. It goes into you know more than a few mempools that are being run on full nodes. And then it's sitting there with a sign saying, please pick me, please pick me. And then, you know, if I'm lucky and I've got a high enough fee rate that I'm willing to pay, a miner will throw me in a block and I'll get my transaction done. That's a normal transaction. That's me buying, you know, like a wallet from Leathermint or, you know, 12 or something like that, right? That's a normal transaction. The kind of transactions we're talking about here are huge transactions, not just in number, but maybe in complexity, right? 
and they just want them done. So they don't have to go to the mempool. The protocol is not forcing you to use mempools to do this. The only thing that the Bitcoin protocol refuses to take are transactions that don't respect 21 million, blah, 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 blah. The rest of the consensus rules. This parallel avenue of going direct to miners as mining, sadly, right now, but it's reality, becomes more and more centralized, or at least for the time being, it's an, it could be considered an attack vector, in my opinion. Now, how do we fix it? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a miner. It's way above my pay grade. But if you're listening to me and you're a miner and you know how to fix it, please, please, please tell everybody how to do that. Now let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities. I got Earl. West Texas Intermediate is up a full point, $78.66. Brent North Sea, likewise, up 0.81% to $83.70 per barrel. Natural gas is, of course, down 4.29% to uh, $1.69 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline, woo, holy crap, is up 1.38% to $2.31. Shiny metal rocks are mixed. Gold down scant, $2,032.50 per ounce. Silver is down a quarter of a point. Platinum is up almost two. Copper is up a half. Palladium is up 2.35%. Ag is fully mixed today. The biggest loser is corn, 1.24% to the downside. Biggest winner today is, again, chocolate. Uh, 1.47% to the upside. Live cattle is down 0.6%. Lean hogs are up over a point. Feeder cattle are up damn near a quarter. The Dow is up 1%. S&P is up 2%. NASDAQ is up almost 3%. And the S&P mini is up one and a third points. Why? Well, NVIDIA beat estimates. Everybody was worried that NVIDIA was going to post its I don't know, terrible numbers yesterday. That's all anybody could talk about. It just so happens that I think Jim Cramer was actually right. He was suggesting that 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 NVIDIA, I think he was suggesting that NVIDIA was going to beat earnings and everybody was like, sell, do the counter, counter Jim Cramer. Nah, nah, I don't, I don't think it worked unless I'm, Unless I'm clearly wrong. He might have said that he expected uh, NVIDIA to miss, but I kind of remember him saying that they were going to hit. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They did hit their earnings and they are projecting beating the earnings. That came out yesterday after the close and the markets are reacting accordingly. And oil is up because apparently there's also some uh, seemingly seeming growth in the United States economy I don't really know what they're talking about. I ain't seen it. But the treasury bonds, all of the yields have risen. Uh, The only two that declined today was the 20-year bond and the 30-year bond, which is yielding 4.46%. Dashboard, Clark Moody's uh, new dashboard, by the way, it is at dashboard.clarkmoody.com, and you can sign in with your Noster InPub. (laughs) Well, actually, with your NSEC. But please don't use it directly. Use something like Git Albi as a browser extension to do that. At least it puts a bit of a firewall between your insect and somebody else. But I like Clark Moody. I would actually trust him. Anyway, 
$51,640 is the price of Bitcoin, giving us a $1.01 trillion market cap. 19,634,630 BTC are in circulation at this time. Average block size is 1.72 megabytes. Hash rate is 563, which is exactly what it was yesterday. Hashes per second. And the average fees per block are a quarter of a Bitcoin. And the block space percentage for taking out the trash that is ordinals and inscriptions is standing at 2.4%. Mempool. What do we got in the what do we got in the mempool, which actually doesn't really exist? Two hundred and four blocks carrying one hundred and thirty-nine thousand transactions waiting to clear. And we're going to be doing that at high priority transaction fees of thirteen Satoshis per V byte, which is just under a buck. And low priorities are also thirteen Satoshis per V byte. Anything under five and a third Satoshis per V byte are being purged from mempools around the world. Got a hash rate flashing over here on mempool.space forward slash mining of 560.3 exahashes per second. So that is in line with what I just told you. Now from episode 860 BITFD, and I won't actually say what that means. Uh, user 24967715 with a thousand Satoshi says, thank you for helping the community. Keep doing Isaiah's job. It's a Bible reference. And it's actually, uh, that's, that's a hell of an honor when you get right down to it. God's death with 537 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Pies with 420 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's going to be the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. I got an excerpt from Marty Bent's Marty's Bent. You should probably take a look at this thing. Um, I'm going to throw this one up into the uh, chat. Hold on for a second. Or not the chat. Into uh, zap.stream so you can actually take a look at it. Because it's got a couple of graphs in here. Quote, These are two of the most bullish charts I have ever seen. They highlight that Bitcoin is not merely competing with its base money competition, but it is already out-competing Fedwire. Let's take a look at the charts. But before we do, what the hell's Fedwire? If you make a like a, a wire transfer from one bank to another, or you wire money to somebody from some other institution, if it has anything to do with the United States, and and probably like you know, if you're wiring money from the United States to like Europe, at one point or another, it's going to hit Fedwire, and that's one of the reasons why it takes three days for that shit to settle. Anyway, so here. We have a chart of the trailing 12-month payment volumes on Bitcoin and Fedwire. In 2023, Fedwire averaged 530,000 payments per day, and the trailing 12-month volume was 193,316,782 payments. Bitcoin almost doubled that volume. With three million, no wait, three hundred and sixty-seven million forty-four thousand nine hundred and forty-six payments over twenty twenty-three. Matthew, and he's talking about Matthew Mazinski. His calculations take change outputs out of the equation. When you spend Bitcoin, you make two transactions if you don't spend the full UTXO. One transaction goes to the person you are transacting with. 
and another goes to a change address associated with your wallet. The change address transaction isn't really an economic transaction, so it's taken out of the data set. This chart would make Bitcoin look more dominant than it already is if those transactions were included. And he's talking, basically we're talking about batched transactions here. If you just look at non-batch transactions and no change addresses and all that kind of stuff, it's just a single me paying you, people consider that a payment. But if I don't pay you everything in my UTXO, a payment comes back. So we already have almost doubled the transactions. If a miner is going to pay out, like on a certain occasion, they make one transaction essentially to a whole bunch of different wallet addresses. Now, if you look at it as just one transaction, then it's just one transaction. But the issue is, is that it's not. It's a whole bunch of transactions. And what we've been looking at is this, this issue of single transactions. But if, But the way Matthew did it here is he put everything in. And when you put everything that could be considered an actual transaction, because it, 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 like the question is, is it sending Bitcoin across a wire? If it is, it's a transaction. Whether it's a change output address or not, doesn't matter. If it's sending money over the Bitcoin network in any way, shape, or form, it's a transaction and it's blowing the doors off of Fedwire. Now, here's a chart from the 12-month trailing transfer value of Fedwire and Bitcoin with the Fedwire supremacy ratio overlaid on a log scale. Don't worry about that. As you may imagine, at the current moment, the amount of value that Fedwire transfers and settles far exceeds the amount of value settled by the Bitcoin network. Last year, Fedwire transferred $1.83 quadrillion. That's quad with a Q, okay? Million, billion, trillion, quadrillion. The Fedwire transferred over one quadrillion dollars last year. Okay, just keep that in mind. <laughs> the Bitcoin network only settled 1.36 trillion with a T. Put another way, Fedwire moved almost 1,000 times more value in 2023. A wide gap to fill. So what he's saying is that we're kill, we're killing Fedwire on the amount of transactions that we can process on the Bitcoin network, just in total. But the value transferred, we're getting our doors blown off by Fedwire. Why? You're competing against a thousand years of legacy fiat wealth that's been accumulated and being passed around. Of course, Fedwire is going to kill us. The only way that number changes is as legacy financial instruments start being converted into Bitcoin, okay? Now, that's a lot. It's a thousand times. They're, they're settling a thousand times more money than we are on a year-over-year basis. I'm good with that, but it's the transaction volume that's blowing my mind. Bitcoin is functionally tearing Fedwire to shreds. Doesn't matter about the volume right now. It doesn't matter. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter about the value. What matters is the volume. We're only 15 years in, guys. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right, now let's get into some funny stuff. Ch 
check it out. As if things for Ethereum weren't weird enough, Vitalik Buterin floats the idea of AI-based code audits, and Ethereum project developers are backing him up. For developers like Hoddlebob that's out there in the audience, what do you say about that? Well, let's get a little bit more context from Shara Malwa out of Coindesk. Code audits may present a possible application for artificial intelligence projects looking to use the new technology, Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin said in a tweet earlier this week amid a surge of AI-related tokens. Quote, One application of AI that I'm excited about is AI-assisted formal verification of code and bug finding. Right now, Ethereum's biggest technical risk probably is bugs in code, and anything that could significantly change the game on that would be amazing. What's amazing, this is an aside, what's amazing here is the admission that there's so many bugs in Ethereum's code, but do with that what you want. The AI sector has reemerged as an investment narrative in the past weeks amid new product releases by OpenAI and market-beating results of chipmaker NVIDIA. Prices of some AI tokens have more than doubled in the past week on the hype CoinGecko data shows. AI broadly refers to the simulation of human intelligence and no that's actually completely wrong don't stop thinking that way it's not it's don't just don't 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 anyway using programs that think and act like human beings oh god that whole sentence is wrong i'm sorry i'm getting a little getting a little out of sorts on that it's not intelligence it's just not there's nothing intelligent about it continuing on popular Applications for this technology have so far been limited to chatbots, self-driving cars, optimizing search in online marketplaces, and image generation software. Buterin's idea of using AI for code audits could bolster security in an industry known for exploits and scams, two Ethereum-focused developers told Coindesk this week. So how can AI help code audits? Blockchain projects already conduct smart contract audits with the help of various automated tools. But a major limitation of these programs is that they are not capable of adapting to new information in the way an AI tool can, one developer explained. Quote, AI can be trained to recognize and adapt to new information and context, making it more effective in identifying vulnerabilities that may not be covered by static Analysis rules a token DeFi developer who wished to stay anonymous told Coindesk in an interview. TokenFi, a sister project of meme coin Flocky, is building an AI-assisted code auditing platform. Quote, AI tools can be updated with new data sets and patterns, and this adaptability is crucial in the rapidly evolving landscape of smart contract security where zero-day vulnerabilities can emerge and existing ones can be exploited in novel ways. AI's ability to learn and improve over time, combined with its capacity for deep analysis and pattern recognition, positions it as a powerful tool for pushing the limitations in human-assisted audits, the developer explained. Another developer believes that AI systems could predict vulnerabilities based on historical and forecast data. AI examination, along with human inspection, could ultimately create a strong system check mechanism. Quote, we can speed up the process by teaching AI systems what to look for based on previous experiences, allowing us to detect potential concerns before they escalate, explained RJ Key, developer at Ethereum Layer 2 Tyco in a Telegram chat. Quote, 
AI may assist with highly technical tasks such as ensuring that the code behaves as expected under various conditions. This combination of artificial intelligence and human inspection not only strengthens our code, but also offers us hope for even more exciting advances in the Ethereum ecosystem this year, Kay noted. Crypto users lost an estimated $2 billion to hacks and scams in 2023, as reported with a large majority of these losses stemming from protocol exploits or attacking poorly coded systems. Ethereum, the biggest blockchain by active users and value locked, what? Whatever, experienced the highest losses with about $1.35 billion erased in an estimated 170 incidents. This figure is indicative of Ethereum's appeal to malicious actors due to its extensive ecosystem and high-profile projects. The largest exploit was July's $230 million attack on the cross-chain platform Multichain. Okay, so why am I bringing you altcoin news? Well, because it is my opinion. If you have ever looked at Ethereum's roadmap, I don't have to look at the code. I'm just looking at their roadmap, the last roadmap that was released by Vitalik Buterin. It is a mess. There's And already, before that roadmap was actually published, I remember back in the days, the MetaMask wallet hack. And nobody to this day has been able to figure out if it was the guy that actually built MetaMask that put a back door in or not. One of the things that's steered me away from Ethereum way back in 2016. I actually had some. And when I figured it out that all I really needed to do was worry about Bitcoin, I I bought Bitcoin with it. I just traded it. Boom. Got just converted all of it direct to Bitcoin. One of the things that got me there was understanding stuff like the 70 million ETH pre-mine that still to this day, Ethereum holders, a lot of them, not maybe not most of them, but enough believe that that's just FUD. No, that actually occurred. Before that chain soft transaction number one, 70 million ETH tokens were minted and put in the hands of Vitalik Buterin and what's that other guy's name? Uh, Lubin. Joe Lubin and one other guy. There's like three or four of these dudes and they got all the coins. And then the first transactions that were actually transporting value from one place to another, that then it occurred after the tokens were minted. And then as I looked more and more and more into it, I started realizing this thing does, there's too many pipes. It's like, in Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Six, the Undiscovered Country, Scotty, the engineer from Star Trek, right, the the from the original series, he's the engineer and he's working on this other ship that's the biggest baddest ass ship that there ever was in Starfleet and yada yada yada, and they knew that if they were going to steal the Enterprise and do what they were going to go or whatever, no, not steal the Enterprise. Oh wait, no, no, wait, this was, was Undiscovered Country. No, it wasn't. It was the search for Spock. No, it's not search. Search for Spock. Yeah, search for Spock. And Scotty sabotaged the Excelsior starship. And he says the following thing. He says, the more complicated the plumbing, 
the easier it is to stop up the drain. And that's what I love about Bitcoin. It's simple. It's stupid simple, right? So now we've we've already got a structure that is overly complex. People have, have described it as a Rube Goldberg machine. It's overly complex. That every complexity in any system, whether it's a programming system or a natural system, represents surface area expansion for attack. You want the lowest amount of attack surface area that you can get in any system, much less stuff like this. Yet they convolute this thing to the point that there's so much attack surface, it's almost impossible to get rid of. And now they want to use AI code review to add more stuff to it. And possibly, they don't say it in the article, possibly to go back over the existing code and look for vulnerabilities or look for maybe refactoring where they tighten up the code a little bit. I don't think that this is going to work the way that they think it's going to work because the code base already is so complicated, so large, so convoluted, so fraught with, I mean, just the social aspect of the pre-mine of 70 million ETH before any transaction of value was actually ever made. That social convolution is already so tremendous that the outside attack vulnerabilities are pretty horrendous. Now you get into the internal code and it's a Rube Goldberg machine. I don't think having AI do code review for Ethereum is going to be their best plan of action. But I will caveat that with this. If you are starting a project with code from the ground up, I don't see anything wrong with using AI for code review. But if you want to go and teach it COBOL and have it fix the banking systems, you know, <laughs> uh, code layer, uh, good luck. I, I don't think that that's going to work the way that you think it's going to work. But for all you new guys out there, don't shy away from using AI for code review if you start using it from day one. Uh, I mean, there, there, there's no reason not to use all the tools at your, you know, at your fingertips uh, to make your project actually work. I think that's okay. I just think applying it to a, let's see, they released Ethereum in what, 2015? Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, like it's nine years of, of accumulated code that is complex. I, I just... I don't see it happening the way they think it's going to happen. Let's move on to cashewaddress.com. They have moved to npub.cash and integrated NIP46. npub.cash is an LN URL service that generates e-cash tokens on received payments and holds onto them for a user until they come back online. Exciting news. <laughs> Good news, everybody. Cashewaddress.com has transitioned to a new domain. Npub.cash announced at E-G-G-E. I think that's pronounced Eggy or E-G. Not sure. If you know, let me know. Quote, finally, the protocol's referenced implementation has its own name and a way cooler domain as well. Thanks at Cali. Why npub.cash? Because it is a Noster native. Cashew-powered lightning address for everyone. 
We are still far from done. Over the next couple of days and weeks, we will continue to work on NUT11, that's N-U-T-11, and additional login methods, NIP49 slash encrypt. Also, there will be static payment pages for all users. Again, thanks, Carnage, for the suggestions. Lots of code to write. Please leave your feedback while we are still early on in the work-in-process phase. So, what's new? NIP46 support. Quote, Access your NPUB.cache address using NIP46 providers like NSEC.app or NSECBunker. Thanks, Brugeman, for pointing me in this direction and for your tremendous work on NSEC.app. Wallet redesign. Quote, the wallet screen received a makeover and now has a nicer look and feel. The new design is based on prototypes provided by Carnage. Thank you so much for your contribution. All right, so, npub.cache. Um, I brought this to you earlier this week. It was either earlier this week or like last Friday. I can't remember exactly when. But if you have a, if you spun up a set of private and public keys for Noster, you already have npub.cache, a, a wallet address for npub.cache by simply putting your npub at npub.cache. I've already used it. It works. And this is this is one of the one of the um, unfolding features of Noster. And I, I taught in fact, Hoddlebod, you remember me talking about this when we had beers a couple of weeks ago. The thing about Noster that I that everybody not everybody, some people get it. But I think the most of the world doesn't understand the following. When you spin up a set of keys for Noster. And it's got an NSEC, which is your private key, and an NPUB, which is your public key. Right? You keep your your private key private, and your public key basically allows people to know who kind of where you are in the world as far as Nost, as far as Noster world. But once you have that, well, I can sign in. Okay, so I can sign into Hoddlebod's Coracle.social. It's a Noster client, web based. I sit, get get it up on my you know on my browser on my computer that my you know my desktop computer, and I plug you know I use a Git Albi and I give Git Albi my insec and my npub, and then I go over to coracle.social and it says sign in using extension and I hit sign in using extension and it talks to Git Albi and Git Albi says you're signed in brother and all of a sudden here I am and I set up my, my profile and I give it my PFP and I write my bio and I, I was like, say, hello world is my first note on Noster and everything's grand, right? And then I go to a, another client like, um, oh, like a snort.social. Same thing. I say, okay, well, uh, you want to sign in? I say, sure, I want to sign in with my GitAlby extension and it says, all right, brother, you're in. And then all of a sudden my, my PFP is already there. Uh, my, my profile pick is there. My bio's there. Cause these are all events in the Noster network. So when I did that in, in Coracle, it basically saved it to relays. So the relays understand who the hell I am, what my bio says, what my picture is, what my backgrounds are, all that basic stuff that you expect from a social media. Let's just call it a social media platform, even though Noster is a protocol. I don't want to get into that right now. Okay. Right there, I should have realized what was going on. Because now I can go to a different one. I can go to um I go to Domus. 
And all of a sudden, I sign in and I'm in. I sign in with my Insec using like uh, one of the one of the applications I can use to kind of sign in with extension on iPhone, and boom, I'm in Domus. What I'm getting at is this. Let's go to like take it to a first principle. Your Insec and your InPub can act as your identity, and because your identity talks a certain language, then a certain protocol, not platform, but protocol, can read it. That certain protocol here is Nostr. There are clients out there that I don't even know about because so many there's so many clients, I haven't been able to get to them all. But when I, if I discover one or somebody builds one tomorrow, sends me an email the day after and says, hey, will you go test this client? I can log into that client using my extension. What this means is that every platform that speaks the Nostra protocol knows who I am with my NSEC NPUP. They're the platforms that have not yet been built to do specific things, I already have a profile built for it and it doesn't even exist yet. Do you see what I'm saying? If when I signed up for Twitter, you know what I did not, was not able to do with my Twitter credentials? Log into Instagram. Nope, I had to build the entire profile for Instagram. And then when, it, you know, if I decide to go over to TikTok, TikTok's not going to read my Instagram profile, is it? So I've got to build everything there. And what's worse is that if you're following me on Twitter, you don't even know if I have an Instagram account. You have to actually discover that in a completely different pipeline. But with Noster, it's different. Now, I'm able to get into platforms that I don't that that I don't know about yet that exist, and it's waiting for me. Like Flare, uh, is it Flame or Flare? I can't remember if it's, it's like a, it's a video service based on Noster. I didn't even know it existed. I signed in with my extension, and all of a sudden, all my shit was there, but I didn't have any videos. And it was waiting. The, this particular client was waiting for me to discover it, and it already knew who I was. And I didn't have to rebuild anything. I didn't have to rebuild a following. It was just there. It was all my followers were there. All the people that I follow were there. And now this is starting to bleed over into stuff like cashew and Chamian Mints and eCash. Now, with inpub.cash, all I had to do was throw my inpub into, in, like, inpub, my inpub at inpub.cash, and all of a sudden, I got a wallet that can accept, you know, eCash. And it was like, and I'm still, like, wrap, trying to wrap my head around whether or not I like Mints and eCash and Cashew or not. Some people still think it's a shit coin. I don't know. I'm just not going to say either way. But it's what I'm getting at is that I'm starting to see a fractal occur where a, a pattern begets another pattern that is the same as its birth pattern. All right. If you ever see a frac- fractal geometry, like you, you keep scoping in and, and zooming in and it's always the same pattern you if you look at it from it from a distance it's beautiful and if you if you zoom in it's the same pattern yet it's it's the same 
So now the, the I'm going to try to say that the, the, um, the characteristics of Noster being that there are places that haven't even been built that already have my identity waiting for me in a platform that does something that even the developers of that platform don't know yet because they haven't even developed it yet. Now it's starting to bleed through into being able to pay each other cash with Chami and Emins, Cashew, eCash. What the hell else is next in this fractal? And this is why digital identity, I think more people are sleeping on this than should be. Because there's two competing camps for digital identity. And remember, everything that I was just talking about, how fascinated I am that I can get into another client that I didn't even know existed, is all because of the concept, the first principle of a digital identity, which actually goes down to even the truest first principle is, who are you and how do you tell me that I can trust that you are who you say you are? That's identity. Digitally, it's the same thing, only on this digital in this digital realm, right? So now we've got the other competing camp, which is what? Federal-style governments. And most of them are acting, they're, they're misbehaving. They're ill-behaved children. I don't want their identity. Yet they're pushing for me to take on an identity that would actually do the same thing as the Nostra identity does, but fully controlled, fully executable. And when I mean executable, I mean executing my bank account because they found out that I was at, I don't know, a protest in Canada for truckers. I don't want to, I don't want that identity. I don't want that. This is the identity I want. I want the Nostra identity because there's real power in a Nostra identity. And you might go to Nostra today to one of the clients, say, let's say uh, Primal. Primal Primal.net is another client for the web. And you get on there and you go, well, none of the people I know are here. And these people are all talking about Bitcoin. And this is just dumb. I'm going back to Twitter. Then you've completely missed the point. And it's okay that you missed the point. It's not because you're stupid. It's because this is a young protocol and we don't know how to market it properly. And I think one of the biggest marketing opportunities that we're fucking missing every single day is that we already solve digital identity. And here's what digital identity can do for you. You can take everybody you know with you into places that haven't even been built yet, including the ability to send and receive cash simply by using the exact same credentials that you use to log into things that haven't been built yet. That is a marketing story that if we can figure out how to crack that nut and get people to understand just how powerful that is. In fact, maybe it's this way. Let's say you die and you can take all of your valuables with you and you can maintain a direct line to all your friends that are still alive. And instead of it, instead of you haunting them because you want to be close to them because they were your friends in this life, you don't have to do that. They know you're dead and they know that they can talk to you. Wouldn't it be grand if you could talk to your grandma who you've missed sorely 
and you're not scared of the of the afterlife or that the fact that there's this veil between you know reality and some other exist you know weird other reality the 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 life after death that there's a direct line that connects you to wouldn't you want that that's what this is that's exactly what we have here we have a direct line through all manner of veils of ether. And I ain't talking about the shit coin either. I'm talking about that, that veil between what we think of as reality, us here on earth. If we run into a tree and break our nose, we physically feel it. It hurts. And we don't understand at all what happens to us after we die. And I know that this is a very long tangent, but there are so many people that just absolutely refuse to get on Noster to see what Noster is at its core functionality because people are talking about Bitcoin or there's not enough political talk or there's not enough transgenderism or there's too much transgenderism or, oh my God, somebody saw a a naked lady on it and is like so freaked out about it that they want to run back to Twitter, even though we all know what the hell can be found on Twitter, right? And they won't see it because of that. It's the... The nut to crack is the importance of digital identity and that once you have it, you can use it forever even after you die. All right, enough of that, enough of that. I'm going to finish off with this note by Thunder and uh, hold on, I got I got distracted. I want to make sure that I'm not missing anything important. So bear with me, guys, bear with me. <laughs> All right. Thunder on Noster. Okay, we'll stick with Noster, but this is something completely different. She says the day has come. For a while, I've been looking at the wonderful Bitcoin community shyly from the sidelines, supporting people and what they do for Bitcoin. I thought I had nothing to say or share with the world. Then I realized as a recruiter that I had spent a fine amount of time daily talking to job seekers about how they could improve their chances of landing their first Bitcoin-only job, or with the managers, how they could improve their recruiting. So it hit me. I have a lot to share. I should write it down. Today, I humbly present you my two eBooks. One is for job seekers in the Bitcoin industry, and another one is for startups on how to improve or build from the ground up their hiring processes. I do this for the Bitcoin community with the hope that we can create a common ground for job seekers and companies to better understand each other. For that reason, these guides are completely free and no data will be collected. I want to thank the people who supported me during this project. At Mars, at Doe, at Tanil, at Fox. And you can find this at www.thunder.wtf. That's thunder.wtf, get hired in Bitcoin. I'm going to go to it and see what happens. And I'm going to throw it up for the guys over there in Zapstream. Here it is, thunder.wtf, unlock your Bitcoin career journey, transitioning from fiat to Bitcoin employment. Kiss your fiat job goodbye. Kiss your bad hiring goodbye. Okay, let's see. Download the EC, empowering job market seekers and companies in the Bitcoin job market. Download the eBooks. Okay, so the first book up, there's two books here. Yeah, two books. Kiss Your Fiat Job Goodbye. I'm going to download it. 
and we'll throw it into uh we'll throw it into this fire shot pit. Uh, okay, let me get it up here. Kiss your fiat job goodbye. Wow. Intro. I'm looking at the table of contents. Um this is a looks like to be about a twenty-four page document. Uh twenty-three pages. Uh twenty-four the last page is credits and shout outs. So I'm just like I'm just kind of scanning through it. And it's completely free. It comes down as a PDF. So I'm not actually on her website. I'm actually looking at this locally from my own, my own local computer, my own local storage. So I, I think she's pretty much, uh, I'm pretty sure she's not lying when, um, she says that she's not collecting data because I'm not chilling out on her website for very long. The other one is kiss your hiring. Wait, wait. Oh, holy kiss your bad hiring. Goodbye. And it looks to be 26 pages. Uh, looks like she's put a lot of work into this. I haven't read it, but I'm going to. Um, I want to thank Thunder for realizing that we are in a new world. Um, and value for value is probably the most important thing that we can recognize in the world that we're existing in right now. There's some good people out there that are trying to do some good things and we're all broke. (laughs) So if we can help in some way or another support each other with our time, talent or treasure, if you're lucky enough to have a, you know, bag of gold hanging around, then we should try to do that more often. And I'm going to read through these things and I'll, I'll let you know what I, what I think about these, uh, this hiring guide and this job seeker guide for, for Bitcoin only companies and job seekers at a later date, but I don't have time today. In fact, I'm going to cut it right here, say goodbye and say, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.